Welcome to the latest United We Stand podcast brought to you by Red Army Bet, a betting site with a difference. Not only are we offering the best available odds on a United win, we've also got exclusive special bets created by Reds. And as we share half our net profits with the United supporters community, no matter what, the fans can always end up winning. Check out our website, redarmybet.com, or download the app, Red Army Bet. About fans, by fans. Welcome to the latest United We Stand podcast. I'm Andy Mitten and I'm joined today by Mike Keelan. Mike's a Lancashire lad. He's originally from Burnley and he started out at Burnley and he went to Norwich City, a very good Norwich team and he did so well there that Manchester United brought him when Everton wanted him and Arsenal wanted him. Champions Arsenal wanted him. For a massive massive 750 grand (laughs) as he's just pointed out to me. He had a wonderful debut against Arsenal, Champions Arsenal, beating him 4-0. And then, having had a, a successful career as a player at the club and winning trophies, he moved on and he came back to the club as a coach and then as one of Sir Alex Ferguson's assistant managers for a long time until 2013. Thanks for joining us, Mike. You're welcome. You're welcome. I was at Old Trafford yesterday and Michael Carrick explained that this is definitely going to be his, his last season. Yeah. Uh, he joined in 2006. You worked closely with Michael. What, yeah. what was he like as a person, as a player? And he's had a pretty outstanding career. I can remember watching him for West Ham thinking, I really, really like that player. That <laughs> yeah, was I think he's, um, I mean, well, not knowing the player until you actually get him into your football club, that's the time when you really, really understand the person and the ability that the player's got. I think from Michael's point of view, his education has been terrific. West Ham, Tottenham, and then obviously getting him into into Manchester United, which was an important period of time, because you're looking for certain players that can gel and blend with what you've already got. So to get him into Manchester United was, was something really, really, really good. You know, he's coming from London. Having said that, he is a northern boy, so he's, he's more or less come north half and half. Well, getting him in, then you realise the qualities he can bring to your football club. As a person, you know, he's exceptional. He's intelligent, he's bright, he's a thinker of the game and, and an educated boy, you know, from, from a football point of view. He had a great desire to perform and a great professionalism in training. And I think all those qualities have helped him survive, in a way, in this mad industry we, we are in at the moment. And to be at Man United for so long, contributed so much in his career, is a testament to him. What did he do well? Because I spoke to one of his teammates recently, and he said the early version of, of Cara, he could, with one ball, his quote was, kill two lines. Yeah. And I'd not heard that. that before. Michael was a forward thinker. You know, and this, when he came to United, we're going back to the days when a midfield player was a midfield player. You had to do a bit of defending, you had to do a bit of attacking, you had to control the game in midfield. He obviously developed later on into what is now described as a defensive midfield player, an attacking midfield player. You know, you're either one or the other or you sit in front of the back four. And I think he took all those roles on. But what he brought was, a, was a, an experience of calmness, he could distribute the ball really well, both short and long. But all his attention was the forward pass, was, was that, I wouldn't say the killer ball, but the ball that put the team on the, 
on the front foot be that going into the striker be that switching play be that linking the play between defence and attack he had that intelligence to be able to get himself into a position to receive the ball inevitably facing forward you know which which is a skill and he brought that to the game and, and also he brought a reliability to other players because other players could give him the ball and and he could retain that possession for you and he could create the tempo as well tempo in a football match which few can do but he certainly had that application in his game and he had a thought process he created a picture before it happened you know it's like the snooker player they're always three or four moves ahead aren't they before before they play the first shot so he had that in his in his mind all the time. How do you control the tempo? Because another player had told me that Scholes was better at doing that than anybody else. If yeah. he needed to slow the game down, he had the ability to do yeah. that to speed it up. Well, there you are. There's Did the you, quality. When you Did I have that yeah. quality? No, I was a grafter. I yeah. was a runner up and down. I had the legs just to, to mortar on. I didn't have that sort of skill in my locker. Uh, but that's the beauty of it that's the beauty of the team you know everybody brings something into that Manchester United team which is part of the reason why you're successful and I think you mentioned a great player there in Scholes Carrick and Scholes together you know there, there are differences in the fact that you know Scholes he could do a lot of things like score goals Michael Carrick was more of an assist, he was more of a playmaker than say the one that would score goals like scores he did. So there's a blend there. But Michael could always think the game, he could always play in a couple of positions. He wasn't just a central midfield player. I think there was occasions as Michael played as a centre back, both in Europe, which suited him to the ground. Uh, you know, the modern day player, centre half, can play, centre midfield. I think a lot of the top teams have used that in the past. But then, you know, when he's in your team, you talk about tempo, he could put his foot on the ball, he could see the picture, he could create the short pass, retain possession, slow the game down and quicken it up with one long pass. Now, there's the qualities that he practised, you know, and in training he would do these things and he'd repeat them in games when he was selected. He was always available, you know, his preparation was good. And what I mean by that is he trained well. He was always available for training, you know. And uh, there are other players was, who don't train well. Who, yeah, there's who always just, everybody's different. Yeah. you know, you've got under percenters all the time in training, and the players if they're playing. There's others, you know, and that that don't stand out in training. They they fit and they're ready, but they they're not sort of charging around and doing the things that you expect sometimes from players. But on match day, they turn up. I was told Carlos Tevez was one of them. He would just be pretty lazy in training, but when it came to the game, there was no one as committed as. Yeah, and that's that. You know, there's there are players who you wonder why sometimes, and you wonder how. But when they actually in that arena, the light bulb goes on. You know, suddenly they're there and 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 they they're available and they turn up. And you, sometimes you wonder how does that happen because the preparation is not necessarily the way you think it should be but everybody's different and that's the beauty of being a coach and you have to understand these people Michael was always prepared you know and, and, and he did all the correct things 
and he probably developed a lot more things whilst he was at Manchester United in order to stay at the level he had to stay at. And when the important thing is from someone like a player like Carrick is as he grew older, his experience was invaluable, not only playing but not playing, because he could he could relate to a professional. So for any youngster, you know, watching how a real pro goes about his daily business, that's quite refreshing. That's that's like having somebody in the dressing room who can teach these kids what you can't teach them. I think because, he'll be a good coach? He's gonna well, that's going to be a challenge for yeah. him because, you know, not, not great players make good coaches, but some do. But because he's been around so long, because he's probably been one of those football players who you class as a footballer and the way he thinks about the game and what it means to him I think he's got every chance of being a good student of, of, of the game yeah. You started out at Burnley, it was your local <laughs> club, you played for Burnley in the second tier the third tier, the old second division the yeah, third that's division. Right. could you have envisaged Burnley where they are now 30 years ago when you well, were there that's, a, I know that's a good been a, question. They've been a great club in the in the 60s. Burnley was always a very good club, and particularly from the point of view that they gave youngsters a, a chance. And also, I found when I when I was at school, Burnley was the team I always supported. But you know, Burnley in them days were probably ahead of the time from the point of view of young players of 14, like myself at school, would go and train with the apprentices of 17, 18 years of age one day a week down at Turf Moor now when you that won't happen today can't happen today with all the rules and regs and whatever but when it came to maturing that seemed to be the best thing to get there and get there quicker because of that there's the physicality there's the mental approach there's the enjoyment of playing against older players and also playing against what were apprentices then and you you were a schoolboy so your education was quick so you grew up quicker a little bit but then from Burnley who were then sort of coached by ex-players you know the likes of Frank Casper, Ray Pointer, Arthur Bellamy these types of people were Burnley football players good Burnley who I'd watched as a kid for them to be your coaches and encourage you the way they did was fabulous be so, all end or long side I was be all end me yeah yeah I went tough enough to go on the long side <laughs> But in other ways, you're tougher because the long side was covered. You know, you used to stood out in the open on the BL. Yeah, well, yeah, in them days, though, when I was very, very young, that's when uh, you used to get down at the front, you know, yeah. by the by the railings, and all the parents used to let the kids go down to the front whilst your, your dad and your uncles were stood behind you, you know, watching over you. So it was all a different, different time. And now, Burnley, it's incredible. Well, it goes back to what you were saying, really. Did I, do I expect Burnley to be where they are? When I was a player, that's where I wanted Burnley to be. That was my whole ambition, was to be top of the tree with Burnley. That obviously didn't, didn't happen. There was a few ups and downs. What downs? They nearly went out of the Football League in 1987. Yeah, that's right. And that was a, that was a gut-wrenching moment, really, yeah. for that to be possible, really. Mm. That was the Orient game, wasn't it? It was, one. yeah. It was the Orient game, and much to the relief of the town, the supporters, mm. because I think if we look at Burnley as a football club, it represents the town, mm. you know, and it gives the town identity. And certainly now with what's happening there, it's put Burnley on the map. And I think that's a real, a really good story, mm. a really good thing that, that you can feel proud of. You still live in Burnley? Still I still live, live just outside, yeah. I live in the village I went to school in. Mm. 
Uh, I've moved a couple of times. And what are you doing now? Now I'm uh, I'm working on a project which is uh, putting together a company called SensibleSoccer.co.uk. It's it's about drills in football. It's about teaching grassroots kids from say 11 to 17, and also applying a few of the skills I gained for grassroots coaches to come and observe and watch and take anything from it. Give a few pointers of organisational skills in how to put a session on without going through the the coaching scenarios of, of getting your badges and things like that. So that's been quite refreshing. It's been different. The kids have responded really well when I've been invited along, both locally and got involved with a local university, UCFB, which yeah. was which was out of Turf Moor, yeah. quite a unique, a unique university, which has now moved from the Burnley area into uh, Manchester, into the Etihad Stadium, believe it or not. I'm working out of there okay. every now and again. Sorry about that. <laughs> Some things you have to do when you're out of work. But no, delivering masterclasses and advice to students, doing a couple of lectures now and again, or talking about... You haven't know. you got a conference at the Etihad? got a conference coming up on April the 18th. And can people listening to this go to that? Yeah, anybody can go. And learn it's, about It's available. Yeah. I'm going to do... We've got three or four speakers on yeah. from different backgrounds, both, you know, recruitment and the nutritional side, the, the training side, uh, how to prepare for football matches. And I'm going to do a, a coaching session on the small pitch outside the ground for anybody who wants to come along in the first part of it and then deliver a little chat about what we've done, how we've done it and polish it off with some Q&A. How do you find out about the company? Well, that's online. It's yeah. on sensiblesoccer.co.uk. It's been given accreditation by the FA, which is good. So any up-and-coming young coaches who okay. want to come along, they can come and get their CPD hours in. Yeah. Uh, all technical stuff. Yeah. But I think it'll be just quite a different approach there's lots of conferences out there but what we're trying to do as a company is put something together it's the first one hopefully we'll do a few more the pricing's good I think it's £69 for the whole day uh, which you don't get if you go to any of the other conferences so hopefully the delivery of content will be interesting it's literally based around a little bit of my experiences at Manchester United and the speakers are ex- Man United and, and, and certainly in Tony Strudwick yeah. he's present Man United yeah. so it should be an interesting day out if you want to come to it United play against City next month of all the United teams you work with which one would you most like to take to Manchester City now in, 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 in a game <laughs> a winning one oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I think this one is being built up now to be something more special than it actually is because yeah. of the way City are yeah. in the league and what it could mean in that one game. Man City winning the title in that game. That's that's some challenge really for Man United, but probably the best challenge for Manchester United to try and not let that happen. Certainly put a spoke in the wheel a little bit there. And, uh, Who was good in derby games? I mean, you worked with lads like Wayne Rooney, well, to be honest, Rio, yeah. Ronaldo. What was interesting at Man United was we always had local, a local boy or an academy boy that had, that had made an appearance in that game. It was always something that was part of that derby game. And, and that happened a few times. On the other side of it, one thing that I do remember was Paul Scholes' comeback. 
playing in the in the game. You know, he'd retired, he'd hung up his boots, and then all of a sudden, he fancied it again. You know, and did you know what was going on there? Yeah, I did. What yeah. did the manager say to you? Well, it all came about, and I think Paul's talked about it a little yeah. bit. Um, how it all came about when obviously he, he stopped playing, and then he went on to do little bits of coaching with Warren Joyce. But he actually carried on training with the young kids, which probably did him a world of good because knowing how Warren used to work, you were the fittest player out there. You know, he was fit as a flea working with Warren. And then it just came about that Scorsi one day asked me a question. He came to the office, he came to my office, and said, what do you think? I'm thinking of having another go. <laughs> what was your first and, reaction? And my first reaction was fabulous, fantastic, yeah. because what it told me was he wasn't ready to stop. And I know through experience that nobody wants to give up the game. Playing is the best thing. But he still had this urge, so you've got to encourage this urge. And I said, oh, why not? This will be great. His biggest decision really was, am I going to explain this? How do you think the guy in the next office will think, Sir Alex? And I thought he'd take it, you know, the way he did. I thought it would be encouraging and it would be a sign of a new player. You know, we got to that stage where there's only two windows of opportunity and Scholes is offering himself. I don't think he had deregistered, so he was still in real terms available so what happened then so what we did we uh, we sort of let him join in carried on his training but a did he bit. go next door but he was still a coach he was right. still seen as the coach there was nothing out there there was nothing okay. nothing being reported but did he go and see the manager after he saw the you? manager and he seemed keen on it okay. and then he decided so only you three go knew. With it. so yeah and probably David Gill at the time yeah and then it just came about that this game was coming up and we, we brought Scholes into into the actual got his blazer on, got his suit on, ready to go to the game as a coach. So the other players for So it was just a case of Scholes coming along for the ride, really. But we knew what we were and did you not, what was up to, what had, we were up to. Had you not done like shape in the days before no, the no, game? No, it was Man City you don't do shape, it was Man City versus Man United. So it why was, did you not do it shape? Was, for it Man was City? the whole it was the whole these are our players if they can't turn up and play against Manchester United then who can yeah. so we did our usual preparation Scorsi comes along on the bus we're in the dressing room and then the manager tells them and no player literally. had tweaked anything no no he must have told and to be perfectly honest I don't know whether Paul had told anybody or, or not only Paul can answer that but the atmosphere in the dressing room was electric it was like wow you know what I mean we've got a brand new player again and it happens to be Paul Scholes for nothing behind it. <laughs> for nothing it? You, yeah. know, you know there's no transfer fee there's no nothing you've got a brand new player who probably and I think he's gone on record as saying was probably his most nervous he's ever been in his entire career because he wasn't sure that he could still do it how did you put think he did? Up. I thought he did really well yeah. I thought he did really well and he handled it really well and and the players were ecstatic really to, to think that you know, Paul Scholes was back in the fold and it proved a little bit to Scholes I think in, in the long run but those were sort of moments that are hard to keep inside sometimes and the size of the club of Man United to keep those moments to yourself it's name possible sometimes Would you not go home and tell your wife? <laughs> well no, it's no. not to do with her is it? No. Really? <laughs> so you just keep it entirely to yourself? Yeah and that's the importance of the yeah. job and the role yeah. you've got it is, it is huge and, yeah. and it has its effect and it did have its effect on, on the whole proceedings It's a great way of doing it
and Scalzi was a, a local lad, so that added value. But they were great players from well away from Manchester. I know you, I know you weren't very close to Rio Ferdinand, for example. Yeah, Rio was um, a top, top defender. You know, probably he was another player ahead of his time. Came through West Ham as well. So whether that's a common denominator between a Carrick and a, and a Ferdinand, I don't know. But their careers were meant to be at Man United. They just had that something special, something different. And Rio came in as the most expensive defender, you know, in, in the country. Tall, you know, out there type of guy. And relish the opportunity, really. And, and working with Rio was good. You know, he brought an element of speed, a different type of defender, a defender that was really a 400-metre runner. You know, he, he probably could have run on that athletics track and put in some serious times. Um, but he had that efficiency about him. And, and, and again, he brought all those qualities that we expected of him. I've interviewed lads over the years, not in Spain and in France and... A few of them have picked out Ferdinand as the best player they've ever played against. Some of these lads are Brazilian internationals. Yeah, it's... United probably <laughs> have one of the two or three best defenders in the world. Yeah, well, that's a measure of, of uh, football. That's the measure of the player in the football game, is when another player or other players actually command, you command their respect. And the perfect foil with Vidic, no? Yeah, they, they complemented each yeah, other. Yeah, and that, that, that was an important an important role. Centre-halves have always been important at Manchester United. There have been some good ones, some seriously good ones. And partnerships as well. Pallister, Bruce, great partnerships. Parker sometimes came into that. And then you look, you know, you can go further back. McQueen, McGrath, you know, these types. They're unbelievable centre-halves. But also, the... There's the connection between the two. There's the ball playing centre half, and then there's the centre half, the traditional one. And I think Rio brought that, and Steve Bruce brought that, and Vidic brought that, where there was a complementary element to it. Vidic was a defender, you know, and it put as much head. as as much as the Mania wanted to be a centre forward at times, and as much as he he wanted to show more skill than people gave him credit for, it did, it he was an out and out defender. Yeah. He was definitely. One of those defenders that was tough, tough, but could command respect, but also needed the counterbalance in a Ferdinand. And it worked, it worked a treat. And then you have that, you know, the fullbacks who complement that. So from a tactical element, the back four, which Man United traditionally had, was perfect. It had speed, it had knowledge, it had toughness, it had what was endeavour. Like? Well, Evra, Evra was, was a forward-thinking fullback, if you can call one, but not really a fullback, because we were getting into the realms when Evra was playing of this attacking fullback, not particularly a defender. Because he'd been a forward. Well, he was a forward, yeah, he was a, and he was was a sort of an outside sort of... Yeah. Uh, what you could say is, well, he's a winger, really, the old, the old fashioned winger. Or and you went and to see him play. For I saw him in Monaco. Yeah. I went to Monaco to see him, and uh, he played as a fullback that game. But he got forward all the time, and that was, that was the way Monaco played. They didn't really play with a back four. The Deschamps team. But he, yeah, he great, had great to. Team, yeah, good team. Good, good team. But he had to play a role which was more 
get up and down, be more forward thinking. And for for his size, his athleticism was terrific. And he, you know, he impressed. And at that time, we weren't, we, you know, we were looking for left backs come, come sort of wing backs, if you want to, for a better term. And he fit the bill. So we brought him, and his career was exceptional. You know, he learned about Manchester United. He knew the, the difficulty of being a Manchester United player. He embraced that. You know, and like most players, some players hit the ground running. Some players find it a little bit difficult just to get used to Manchester United. And he was one of them. But to his credit, he got on with it, and he did learn what Manchester United was all about, and became a great servant. Patrice was already established as a. He's still very young, but he was a top-level player. He played in the Champions League final. Cristiano had come in as a, as a very young lad. Could you see his development just? coming on 20-15% year, year after year until he became the best player in Europe what you realise when you see talent is that it's not only the talent that is there right now it's the talent going forward and I think everybody recognised that players, staff certainly management and, and Carlos Quiros who, who knew of him because of the Portuguese connection but for a, you know, a kid and he was a kid Coming from Madeira to Portugal to do that at such a young age, making that step, then suddenly going to England probably wasn't his career path in his own mind. But obviously Manchester United is a different kettle of fish and, and when he came you knew that you had a talent, a real serious talent. It was just how would you bring that out? And that was the role of the manager and the staff, myself included. Carlos, who was head coach, and also the surrounding people, you know, the sports sports science, the nutritional side of it, all those things were perfect at Manchester United for Cristiano to embrace. And he was challenging. He was a challenging kid. He had a he had an unbelievable desire, a refreshing desire, to be the best in the world. And Manchester United could play a part in making him the best in the world. I've just been to Brazil to see Anderson. Oh wow! <laughs> it was not an uneventful trip. <laughs> I'm sure. Not, we, no. We'll have a little chat here and do this interview. I spent 24 hours with the lad and stayed at his house and Good. went out and it's Good experience, I, I, huh? Oh, great! I can see why. I mean, sometimes as a fan, I'd be frustrated with him, but I can see why he was so popular. The and only man who wears flip-flops in the snow. Yes. <laughs> I, mean, I didn't know that. I'm saying yeah, I didn't know that. <laughs> right, okay. And, and um, you know, my wife, who doesn't really have any interest in football, she met him, she just warmed to him straight away. Yeah, he's got he's something on him. He? He's affectionate and he, 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 he's a warmth about him. He told me when he first met the manager, rather than shake his hand, he gave him a big hug. And the manager's like... You know, <laughs> but, but he also said, I think the manager could see the... Anderson told me about losing his father when he was 12 years old and, and he found a father figure yeah. and people might see the headlines or where a player's come from but they don't realise these lads they're 20 years old yeah. they're in a country where they can't speak the language was that a challenge to you to help them settle in and to, to watch them well Andor Andor had a different language anyway you know what I mean he, he, he didn't speak Brazilian <laughs> he didn't speak Spanish Portuguese he spoke a, a mixture of everything and then he tried to combine English with that as well 
you know and it was it was an experience all in one but even that negative of not learning a language quickly enough he turned it into a positive because people loved him because he'd say things like my car no fly yeah yeah (laughs) things like that yeah but people he understood football yeah oh he was you know he did understand football and we have to remember Anderson was a superstar when he was younger at 17 you know and he had all the trimmings of a superstar. He went to Portugal, he played at Porto. And I recall watching Andor for Porto, and he was outstanding, yeah. absolutely outstanding, playing regular, you know, and, and could do everything. Then, obviously, it's an experience coming to England and, and that settling-in period, and, and he still is a young man who's on his own. Can't you know, speak the language. Can't speak Never the language. Never lived anywhere where it goes dark at Weather's all completely different. Yeah. You know, yeah, there is that element to you know how much light is in a day. So huge, huge challenge for him. And then the training aspect, getting the games, feeling part of something. When you've come from an area where you are the star, you have been playing regularly to suddenly not playing as regularly. All those things play on the minds of of, of young players, and they need that support mechanism around them to make them feel wanted and what we did have was a good group of players yeah. that embraced him yeah. you know and, and, and understood him and challenged him and also staff staff in that and and, and and when I mean that not just coaching staff staff around the club embracing him that way and 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 trying to make him feel wanted and feel happy but he felt like he loves it oh yeah and Ever loved it yeah. he's addicted to it his wife was saying you're yeah. obsessed by this football club what you're not from here yeah. so to, to get the players well, feeling that's brilliant, like that isn't, isn't it, it brilliant? That's, that, that's, that's brilliant and that's a special moment in the career yeah. and to be honest in, in the time I was there as a player as a coach as assistant manager you don't hear many negatives about being at Man United and why should you no. it is a fabulous opportunity in your life to either play coach manage there you've got everything at your disposal at the time I was there you've the opportunity to work you've got that length of time to put things into practice to see the fruition of it which is pretty unique in the game of football these days yeah. but the quality of player yeah. the appreciation of the football player was second to none and it's that all encompassing time when you reflect on why was it so good yeah it was so good because the players were brilliant the attitudes were fantastic the staff were unique in what Sir Alex put together we were all allowed to do our jobs under the guidance of Sir Alex and he gave us a sense of feeling you know a purpose and I could count on one hand if one finger I put one finger up on the days I missed at Man United in in 17 years just to love going into work just refreshing something new every day both as a player the challenge as a coach a challenge and everything about it it's just an unbelievably unique experience and a joy my next interview is Rafa I'm going to see him in in Lyon what was he like Raphael Rafa and his brother were different did you ever mix them up 
I did. I yeah, did. Many a times, yeah. I went up to Fabio. There's a few there. times when I've been down on that touchline and I've shouted the name of one and it's the other person. It's the other player playing and it's somebody in behind me in the crowd saying, it's not Rafa, it's Fabio. <laughs> you, do, uh, you do feel it in that moment of time, but that's the way it was. You know, um, they were fabulous. Fabulous, energetic, good young lads with a great family background and just wanted to play football 24 hours a day so when you're coaching do you just feel that you've been given the best tools that you can buy because I remember speaking to Carlos Quieros and he said he arrived and he felt he'd been handed the keys to a Ferrari <laughs> and I thought that was quite a nice line because yeah. and, and even David Moyes when he arrived he was saying I'm just working with players at a level I've not worked with before it just makes your job more, more I think easier. what you find and this is either I've had a unique experience I've been a player a coach and an assistant manager you know there's not many can, can have gone through those phases and I often looked at it and thought well, why why me you know and, 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 and why why is that period of my life happened at United and it's probably because I embraced everything about it yeah. I enjoyed it I loved every minute of being around quality you know and, and that's something to be savoured but not only are you around talent you realise that you can make it better you can experience things together and, and you've got the challenge of good players wanting to be champions that in itself is a really nice working environment and not only do you challenge them they challenge you all your experiences of coaching are to extract things from those players to make them better sometimes it's to work on weaknesses but most of the time the talent's there so work on the strengths you know because they're good so why do you want to waste time working on weaknesses when you can work more on the strengths and I think that is something when you've got those high-quality, high-maintenance players that they give you an energy and they demand. They demand more from you. And the you. manager demanded as well. And then the manager he... sits at the top of the tree yeah. and he's the one that wants to see it all happen and what are you doing in order to make his investment better? You know, and the club's investment. Did you have so, a laugh working with him? Because he trusted you a lot. You were like his foil, Yeah, we had, loads of, we had loads of times when... We, we, were, we were happy and there were the odd occasion when we were sad because things didn't go according to plan but I think you have to be a foil you can't be I learnt a lot as an assistant manager or I got a lot of my answers being an assistant manager from when I was a player because as a player you're pretty individual you're pretty self-motivated you're pretty self-centred so any decision is based or affects you as a player as a coach, you realise there's a bit more to it than that. But then as an assistant manager, there's even more to that because not only are you looking at the player, you're looking at who you're working for, the club you're working for, and the decision-making side of things. They are, there's a lot going on. But I learned as an assistant, and I reflected back to when I was a player, how hard and how difficult it must have been for the manager to make some of the calls he made and how baffling some of those calls are. Yeah because you can look back reflect on it and think wow I didn't get that at the time but I do now because I see the bigger picture and that's one of the lucky the lucky aspects of being involved and in working with a, a manager that brought me to the club as a player but also accepted me as a coach as well so 
yeah, we had our moments. Like we in had, any relationship. We had some great, great times when... Uh, the balloon popped. <laughs> that was very early in my assistant managerial role what and I thought then? it was probably going to be the last one. It was at Chelsea, wasn't it? What, it was at Chelsea and... You know when something's happening in, in a football, it's not, you're not necessarily concentrating on the game, as you should, but something gets into your head. And I was watching this balloon bobbing around and I thought, if that comes near me, it's having it, like, you know what I mean? And, <laughs> and it just bobbled right up to me. I took it off the, off the pitch, put it under my foot and popped it. And to be honest, I didn't realise what had happened until I get this in my ear, you know, all these outrageous... <laughs> Um, and I just remember laugh- I just remember laughing and I remember afterwards watching it again because somebody showed it to me all the staff were laughing but it was like they were watching the game I wasn't I'm watching the balloon I pop the balloon it all kicks off Sir Alex says what he has to say and all the staff are laughing their head off <laughs> it was one of them moments I didn't realise what I was famous for in the end it's probably that balloon popping moment Thank you for your time. I know You're welcome. We've um, loved to talk more, but we're going to get down to Old Trafford. And if you want details of your um, conference at Manchester City, just remind us one more time with the, the website address. It is sensiblesoccer.co.uk. Great stuff. Thanks for listening to the latest United We Stand podcast brought to you by Red Army Bet. We offer the best available odds on a United win as well as a host of special bets created by Red. With half our net profits being donated to United supporters groups, Red Army Bet is about fans, by fans, for fans. Check out our website redarmybet.com or download the app. Red Army Bet, we all follow United.